Just when you thought you were dealing with game-changing, cutting-edge technology with blockchain, someone's got to come along and say, hold on there just a minute, partner. We can do better. And that's exactly what the folks at Hedera believe. Inventors of the Hashgraph technology, Hedera intends to make distributed consensus fast, fair, and secure. And in case that's not enough nerdiness for you, we're going to kick it up a notch by introducing you to Nigel Smart. A professor of cryptography, Nigel lives up to his name, and we discover what multi-party computation is, how it can be used not only to better secure your cryptos, but also with wider benefits to society. So put on your super nerdy underoos and get ready for your synapses to be supercharged. It's episode number 278 of the Bad Crypto Podcast. And hopefully you are in your underoos right now, your superhero underoos, because this is the bad crypto podcast, not the good one, we're the other guys. I'm Joel Com, and him and his Superman underoos, that's Travis Wright. That's right, yeah, you didn't think they made underoos in my size, they do. <laughs> Supersize me. <laughs> Although you are shrinking, because you've been fasting, right, and you're you're dropping some poundage. I'm working on it. I figure slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, you know, I, I was working on it, too. And then as I was on my walk today here in Denver, they just opened up a Voodoo Donuts. Just a few <laughs> blocks like, yeah, I'm a, from I'm me. I'm working out. I'm doing it. Oh, Voodoo Donuts. Never mind. <laughs> That's exactly what happened. <laughs> and I walked back with a bag of donuts. <laughs> that was the most unhealthy walk ever. Joel Bag of Donuts. You know, Joey Bag of Donuts. Mm-hmm. I was Joel Bag of Donuts. Okay, I only got two, but it was too, too many. But they're just, they're so yummy. I couldn't help myself. It's good. Congratulations. Voodoo Donuts yeah. live in Denver. Uh, that is not a sponsored post, folks. That is uh, it's unpaid advertisement. That is true. But now a word from our sponsor. Divi, the cryptocurrency app that makes it easy to earn, transact, and store your cryptos. They are the first crypto ecosystem powered by masternodes. You don't have to wear your underoos to install one, but you could just do it with one click. It's super easy. I have two masternodes running right now. They're pulling down Divi every day, and I don't have to keep the software up on my desktop to be masternoding and mining. It happens once they're set up, and I open it up every few days and go, oh, look, I got some more Divi pouring in so these guys are doing something pretty cool i dig it you could do your own due diligence and learn more about it at diviproject.org mr joel comes not the only one who digs it i mean it's pretty cool to have the cryptos just rolling in like that i love how they do the masternode stuff it's pretty sweet and we have one more sponsor for the show mr travis right tell the good people of bad cryptopia about blue share yes um, we had blue share on the show not too long ago they talked about uh, their construction business and their track record that they have and they have this huge pipeline of natural resources for mining and exploration and so they claim to be the first construction and mining company to offer its shares using the ethereum blockchain smart contracts and uh, they have secure mining exploration concessions with a forecasted amount of up to four point something billion dollars so there's all kinds of gold, silver, copper, and zinc, and potentially 27 more billion dollars in other expansion opportunities. So what they're doing is they're tokenizing their blue shares. Uh, there are 300 million tokenized underlying equity capital shares 
of their Swiss-based Interprom Mining Company, and uh, that has both dividends and ownership title. But eighty million of those went on sale on May sixth, and they are still selling those at a dollar sixty per token. Actually, one one euro sixty per token. So they are available at BlueShare.io. If that's your thing, go check it out. Yep, and we would never make any recommendations of what you do with your money because we're not financial advisors, but we do ask that you go check out our sponsors because they do support the show. Make it all possible for us to uh, to do this. And uh, I had something amazing to say, and I can't remember what it was. Oh, I remember. Um, you so got when Batman Underbrews? Batman. No, I do not. I'm, I'm Batman. Batman, not Batman. I do Now I want some some bad crypto boxers. Can we do that? Can we make some bad? You know, we already have socks. True. Some of you guys out there, a few of you have them. Most of them are still in our possession. There's only a hundred pair in the world that were minted. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I guess maybe we'll give some away here sometime in the future. But I remembered what I was going to say. Uh, the price of gold, because we were just talking about, you know, uh, Blue Share and their mining operation, both gold and silver, especially gold, has been bouncing back. It's uh, in May, about a month ago, it was down to like $1,270 and it's it's hit as high as like 1340 Yeah. So it's, it's interesting to see what's happening. Silver is sitting just below $15. Mm-hmm. Very good. I love the precious metals. It's fun to hear them go clinkety clank. I mean, I can see why pirates, you know, would love them because like you literally you hold all the gold or silver and you're like, matey. <laughs> you know, it's really, it's like, it's uh you can feel prosperous holding some gold coins, which is pretty cool. I'm always a big fan of that. Yar, my precious metals. Mm-hmm. Okay, we've got uh, two interviews for you today. Both of them are going to take some thought and concentration true. from you because this is uh, this is super heady stuff going on right here. So let's get started. Learn about Hedera Hashgraph and why the folks at Hedera believe it's better than blockchain. When is a blockchain not a blockchain? When it's a hashgraph. What the heck's a hash graph? Uh, we're going to find out today. We've got Jordan Freed, the Senior Vice President of Business Development at Hedera Hashgraph with us. He is a DLT evangelist, self-professed crypto capitalist, and previous co-founder and CEO of Buffered VPN, which is the fastest growing personal VPN service online that was acquired. And now he is an investor in companies such as Hive.org and the Buffer app, been featured in all of the usual suspect places. And he's here today to talk to us about Hedera Hashgraph. Jordan, welcome to Bad Crypto. Joel, thanks for having me. And before we get started, I uh, I, I don't want to embarrass you too much, but actually, no, embarrass you, me, you, please. I'm bad. <laughs> you are you you are partially responsible for actually getting me into internet marketing way back in the day. So when I first uh, when I first looked to uh, take a non conventional path and, and build internet businesses, uh, I read one of your first uh, uh, things out there, uh, your Twitter power and uh, learned a lot about affiliate marketing and then AdSense arbitrage and a whole bunch from you. So it's an honor to finally connect and uh, get on the phone with you. Well, how kind. Uh, I'm not embarrassed. Maybe Travis should be embarrassed because you didn't read any of his stuff. That's true. <laughs> yeah, that, that's Thanks right. A but, uh, Thanks a lot. I, uh, Appreciate that. <laughs> Travis, your voice is a little shot. Is that from singing along with Sir Paul? That is true. Yeah, went to Paul McCartney and uh, still recovering. 
<laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, if Travis goes to a conference, uh, his voice is fried. If he goes to a concert, his voice is fried. And uh, he's a professional podcaster. So that's true. <laughs> this is good stuff. Okay, so Jordan, why don't you fill in the blanks? Uh, just kind of give us the short version of your bio a little bit after you discovered my work. Yeah, so I, uh, not really knowing what to do in life and not having much of a direction, I picked up and I moved everything, which wasn't a whole lot, a couple duffel bags over to Budapest, Hungary. And I got there uh, and the first realization was that the internet kind of stinks over here. Without an American IP address, there's a whole bunch of the web you can't access. You can't even watch highlights of your favorite football team, new movie trailers on YouTube. All that stuff is blocked by these geographic restrictions. And I realized that I could set up a, a personal VPN service for myself by just spinning up a digital ocean instance. You go to digitalocean.com or just spin up a, a web hosting server and tunnel all of my personal traffic through that server that had an American IP address back home while I'm living in Budapest. And I did that, ended up setting up for a couple buddies, and it turned into a business. Uh, we called it buffered.com. And that was sort of accidental, and I had no idea what would happen next and found out about a guy named Edward Snowden, who became famous really quickly. And uh, we went from a way to unblock the American version of Netflix to a privacy service, literally overnight. And that was in 2013. It was also the year that someone who I've never met and probably will never meet anonymously emailed our uh, info at buffer.com email address and said, hey, can you take Bitcoin? And you take this, anon this this payment mechanism called Bitcoin. I don't want to pay you with a credit card. And that was the first time I'd ever heard of a Bitcoin. Uh, started learning as much as I could about it. And we started taking uh, Bitcoin as payment in Buffered. You know, rest is history with the price of Bitcoin and the, the trajectory of, of, of this whole ecosystem. But was fortunate enough to sell the business in 2017 to a private equity firm in London. And then just started making angel investments, started making uh, seed investments. I'm not a brilliant investor. I, I probably made a bunch of bad investments, but I started buying some of these things called a SAF, a uh, simple agreement for future tokens, looking at projects in the space that had these grand visions. Unfortunately, a lot of them were fast money projects and some of them are no longer in business. But then I bumped into two guys who are a little grayer around the temples, if you will, uh, named Mance. Armin and Dr. Lehman Baird. Uh, Mance was in New York. I had just moved back from Budapest to New York. Uh, and four days uh, after arriving back in the States, back stateside, I, I met this guy who had a Southern drawl and you know a firm handshake and, and told me about something better than a blockchain. Talked to me about how a blockchain may even be obsolete with this thing that they have called the hash graph. And uh, jumped in, uh, wrote a check on the spot, and uh, I've been with the company since 2017, trying to solve what we see as the problems, namely in performance and scalability and security that we think blockchains don't address. And, and that's really what we're addressing over here at Hashgraph. So, so Hashgraph is not actually a blockchain. That's right. It, it, it's literally not a blockchain. When you think of a blockchain, like what is a blockchain? It's a chain of blocks. It follows longest chain principles. Hashgraph is not that. Hashgraph is actually a graph that's bound together by these things called cryptographic hashes. And uh, so the data structure at its core is just completely different. 
Okay, so, you know, it's taken us long enough to figure out how to describe blockchain to people. So your high-level description of, you know, it's a graph. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm still lost. And what I need you to do is explain that in a way as though I am a second grader, because sometimes <laughs> I am. Yeah, happy to. Uh, I'll explain it in the same way you taught me how to grow my Twitter profile. Okay. Right? <laughs> I'll, I'll explain it. Yeah, I'll, I'll explain it as basic as I possibly could get it. The, the problem we're trying to solve for here with blockchain is a distributed consensus problem, but that's just a fancy way of saying we all need to agree on, let's say, the state of balances. How much money does Travis have? How much money does Joel have? How much money does Jordan have? We have to come to agreement on that, and we have to do it in a way where we don't have to trust each other, where Travis can't say he's got more money than Joel because I know he doesn't because you know, we, 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 everything's transparent. We can see how money. Hey, 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 so your business. <laughs> yeah. So we, 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 we need, we need to somehow come to a way of knowing that and a blockchain is one proposed way of doing it, but it's got some problems with it. It's slow as we've seen. Uh, it is not deterministic in that we don't, we don't always know. Uh, we're, we're, we're kind of certain we can get up to like 99% certainty that Travis has a hundred dollars and Joel has 150, but we're never truly certain. You can never achieve a hundred percent finality. You never really know, uh, with every additional confirmation, we just become a little more certain with hash graph. We have a completely deterministic way. So complete finality. We know a hundred percent that Travis has a hundred dollars. Joel has a hundred dollars. Jordan has a hundred dollars. We know that for a fact. We can all see everything everyone knows, and we can come to this agreement on the state of reality in a completely decentralized way. So there's no compromises here. There's no centralization. And we do this at record speeds. We can do this. We can come to settlement finality in, in half the time that a MasterCard does. Uh, typically, a MasterCard transaction could take up to seven seconds to settle when you're at the, the point of sale, when you're at Starbucks. We can do it in half that time. We can do it in about three and a half seconds. And we can do this to the tune of hundreds of thousands of transactions per second. So this is, has never been done before. I'll, I'll throw out a fancy term, but it's just a fancy mathematical term. It's called asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance. We'll call that ABFT for short. Wait, this say, is just, say it one more time. What is it? Asynchronous Byzantine fault tolerance. Can you we'll can you uh, can you wrap it? Maybe is there? You know, <laughs> yeah. I'm a. I, I'm not a rapper, but okay. uh, <laughs> maybe we could find someone who could rap it. Yeah, I would like uh, to hear that rap. That's, I'm just curious. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that would probably sound good. Maybe some house music in the background too, some of that electronic stuff. Uh, but we 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 see that as the stamp, that enterprise grade stamp of approval of this is good enough that we are absolutely certain that the network is secure and that we've all come to. To, to this agreement on on for for a financial ledger uh, for for the state of all the balances there, we don't have that today, and we think that is an impediment, that is a blocker to getting the biggest companies in the world. I mean, your 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 tier one institutions, your enterprises, that's going to stop them from adopting. You're never going to see the Red Cross manage mission critical data on uh, blood supply chain donations throughout their entire supply chain. You're never going to see them do that on a technology that's not deterministic, that's not secure, that's not fast and scalable. Until we have this, we're, we're probably not going to see true enterprise adoption of blockchain technologies. And Hashgraph is 
in that Hedera hashgraph, we're actively working on solving that by introducing enterprise grade technology into the market. So are there other hash graphs or is Hedera the, the, the only one? Because I, I, we've heard the term hash graph before, but are there multiple or are you guys, is that, are you the only one that's doing it? Yeah, it's a great question. So Dr. Lehman Baird, who is the chief technology officer, the chief scientist of Hedera Hashgraph, he is the inventor of the Hashgraph. In 2012, he went to go work on this problem, the problem of how do we all come to this agreement at scale? And he actually wasn't doing it for a blockchain. He wasn't trying to build a better Bitcoin. He was actually trying to solve an AR, VR problem with a pretty inspiring vision. Uh, Lehman is a, a big fan of education and believes that everyone in the world should have free and fair access to education. I'm talking to you now from Manhattan, where people fight to get their kids into private schools and you have to be districted in like the West Village or the Upper West Side, some ritzy neighborhood to have your kids go to the best public schools. But Lehman's thought was, what if we had technology where we could spin up a shared world in an AR, VR scenario, where regardless of where you live or what zip code you have, you could get the best education. And we could spin up the shared world where people could learn and play and interact uh, and transact with complete anonymity. And it turned out to be a blockchain problem, turned out to be a problem of distributed consensus. So from 2012 to 2015, he tried, gave up, tried, gave up. And in 2015, he had that cliche light bulb moment. He had this aha. He's an academic. He actually has the fastest PhD ever from Carnegie Mellon University. He got it in two years and nine months. He realized that if we go back 30 some years, there's this huge amount of academic research about the best way to do this, the best way to do a Bitcoin, the best way to all come to an agreement uh, in a completely distributed way. And it's called pure voting-based systems. And he had this aha that, wow, we could get all the benefits of a pure voting-based system that for 30 years has been purely theoretical, has never been deployed. Uh, It's impractical from a bandwidth perspective. Great security, great properties. This is the best solution. And by the way, guys, this is how a pure voting-based system would work. If the, if, if, if the three of us were a pure voting-based system, we would all submit a vote, but we'd, we'd never come to consensus because if we were 300 people, we'd be waiting for everybody on the network to submit a vote. Yes, this we agree. This is the state of account balances. So Lehman, Dr. Lehman Baird's breakthrough was, what if we did something strange called virtual voting where we didn't have to wait for everyone to vote? but simply attached to every time a computer talks to another computer or a person talks to another person, we attach two bytes, two small hashes to uh, every communication. We can build a graph, a data structure, a graph that's bound together by cryptographic hashes of how everyone has talked to everyone throughout time. And if we build this data structure, this graph bound together by cryptographic hashes, hence the name Hashgraph, we can come to complete finality with complete certainty we can graph the internet. We can connect these various different siloed parts of the internet together, and we can all be in agreement. We can all be in sync. And this before has not been possible. Web 2.0 is very siloed. Web 3, where we are going, Hashgraph is, is connecting the web with, with this technology. So no, no one else is using Hashgraph. Uh, Hedera Hashgraph is the only public implementation of the Hashgraph consensus algorithm. And it's a synchronous Byzantine fault tolerant. 
And I wish I had something to rhyme with that. But now, now, Dr. Uh, Dr. Baird, uh, there's a photo of him and a quote on the website at Hedera.com. He says, what if anyone on Earth at any moment could just wave their hand and carve out a world of their own in cyberspace? He looks like a bright dude, like, you know, to, to come up with this. And I'm, also, I'm wondering, did he also, he invented the hash graph. Did he invent the hash browns? <laughs> he did not invent the hash brown. No, actually, not- he didn't. He didn't. I, I had to look it up. It was actually mentioned by Maria Parloa in 1888. She was American food author, and she called them hash brown potatoes in, uh, I guess, a, wow. a recipe or something. So now you know the rest of the story. So are you, are you basically saying that uh, we've just made blockchain you know, irrelevant? Are we, is everybody building on the wrong platform? Yeah, I, I, I don't think I'm qualified to make that claim. We could probably talk to some, some better experts than, than me and ask them that question. What I would say is that I think that when you look at new technology waves, you had AltaVista and, and Yahoo and everyone thought that was it for search. You couldn't build a better search engine. They already had an entrenched position and something like Google comes along and just takes the entire market by, by storm or everyone's on Friendster and MySpace and then you have a Facebook. So I think that we haven't yet seen the technology that's going to be mass adopted in this space. I think that blockchain is still very much in its infancy in terms of technology. And Hashgraph is a, is a leap, a major leap forward ahead of everything that we have seen and everything that we're currently using in this market. So for, for that, I think it's exciting. Well, with those analogies, you know, we're already seeing the next evolution. You know, certainly Google's got market share, but uh, we like to duck, duck, go things. And, you know, switching from Google Chrome to the Brave browser, which is, you know, more privacy oriented. So maybe by the time everybody hears about Hashgraph, there's going to be, uh, you know, something that's uber, ultra, ultra, asynchronous, mega Byzantine fault tolerant. Yeah, and, and, and that and that may be the case. I, I think that we're, for, for what Lehman has solved here, Lehman has solved an incredibly hard problem that I think is a is is the problem of consensus for at least a decade. And something you're right, better may come along. But I think Hedera, what we've done is we've not just stopped at solving that technology problem. We've combined it with something that doesn't exist in this market. You know, when we talk about blockchain when we talk about cryptocurrency. You look at you look at who's behind these these foundations. You look at who's running this ecosystem, and it's run by open source zealots, and it's run by fanatics, uh, in some cases anarchists, that haven't put a lot of governance in place. When I say governance, I just mean the technical controls and legal controls required to keep the platform stable and to keep it to be to even make it something that large companies would want to trust. If we look at Ethereum today, there's 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 scaling issues. Um, and it's a great ecosystem and they've built a lot of, uh, they, they, they've built a lot of developer interest there, but we've got passionate debates about how do we grow this thing? How do we scale it? And then we can make a decision, but can we enforce that decision? Can we, can we actually compel everybody to upgrade their node software? Well, probably not because if me, you and, and Travis, we're, we're, we're all running nodes on the network. Maybe we don't want to upgrade to this proof of stake thing. Maybe we want to stay with proof of work. So what we've built is. We've built a governance model to complement. We've married the technology with a model where we have these some of the largest companies in the world come together and actually keep that platform stable, but they, they govern it. They decide the pricing. They decide the transaction fees and, and, and make it something that 
large organizations will actually want to build on. So, so what, so what does Byzantine have to do? With it? I know the Byzantine Empire. Why is it the Byzantine fault tolerance? Why is it not the Ottoman or the Roman, you know, fault tolerance? <laughs> yeah, that? It's, that that's that's a good question. I don't think I know the answer to that question. I think that's an academic term that that was assigned to it. Um, I, I I'm not qualified to give the answer to that one. Probably that was a history, that was a history question, folks. That was good. <laughs> That's a good question. So let me ask you this. Is there crypto involved? Like with the Hashcraft, is there, you know, tokens? Yeah, there, there is. It's called HBAR. And HBAR is the gas that powers the entire ecosystem. HBAR is, it actually does three really important things. It's a proof of stake network. So you need the HBAR to actually vote. The HBAR is part of this a token weighted voting algorithm where the more H bars you hold, the the more vote you have in in the the algorithm. That's how that's how Hashgraph is powered in this public network called Kadera. Uh, the token is also the incentive model. So why why would you add your computer to the network? Well, you're going to get paid to do so if you contribute CPU bandwidth and storage, your computer power to the network. You get paid in this token, and then if you uh, if you're a developer or if you have some application that you want to run on top of this network, uh, you would need some HBAR and you could execute a smart contract with it or you could send HBAR as a payment or you could build a stable token, a U.S. dollar token on top of the network. So we do, uh, we, we, we've, yes, we do have a token and the token is uh, preferentially, we, we, we like to distribute it to developers first as they're their earliest adopters. Um, but we did raise a whole bunch of money selling the token. So we, we pre-sold the token in a Reg D securities offering here in the United States, and we raised $124 million through accredited individuals and investors. By the way, we didn't keep any of it in crypto. We actually put all of it in U.S. dollars, uh, which, you know, in 2018 was, was mm. the right decision. That, made, that was nice. Bitcoin. Yeah, and we were able to build a, you know, a long-term company. Uh, we, we, we've got a lot of cash in the bank. We have a multi-year runway, small team, a fewer than 60 people still. Um, uh, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we do have a token and it, it is quite important. So I gotta, I gotta ask, how, how did we get you on the show for free? <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, uh, yeah. You're a shrewd marketer over there, Jordan. Yeah. <laughs> you, you, I, I should have charged you, should charge you at least 10 H bar, 10 H bar would have come on. Most excellent. But I'm here anyway. Well, we're, we're glad you are. It's really interesting to hear what you guys are doing. There's a bunch of companies that are already building um, on Hedera. And apparently, uh, well, one of the companies that I've keynoted for a couple of times, uh, the T-Mobile of uh, Germany, Deutsche Telekom, how are they using uh, your platform? Yeah, great question. So uh, Deutsche Telekom is one of our first council members. So when I talked about those big companies that make the key decisions here, Deutsche Telekom is doing a couple things through their group called T-Labs. They are running a node on the network. So they're participating in the governance of the network itself, making those hard decisions. They're also helping to shape the network for call data records. So when you think about when you, when you take your Verizon wireless phone and you go roam in Germany on the Deutsche Telekom network, there's a service level agreement that exists behind the scenes between Verizon and Deutsche Telekom. And they may spin up a, a virtual instance, 150 megabit per second connection, and you're roaming. They've got to somehow reconcile how much of the Deutsche Telekom network you used and then get Verizon to pay them for that. And they've got to do this all in real time and settle. You'd be blown away to learn how much of this today 
is done through very inefficient spreadsheets and legacy systems and even some pen and paper. And, you know, to take this into, into, uh, or, or to, to improve this process, I think a DLP is perfect. They'll be using Hashgraph and we're working on proof of concepts with not just them, but some other really big players in the telecommunication space. But it's to define these standards for call data records and how we are going to stomp out fraud as when, as it relates to roaming cross border and, uh, and to deal with that settlement. So that's a, that's a really disruptive use case. And I think, you know, if done well, could, could save hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars for the telecom industry as a whole. So say I'm a developer, how do I get started on developing for the, your, your platform? Yeah, it's a great question. So if you actually just go to docs.hedera.com, uh, as a developer, you can read the docs, you can get onto a test net right now. So we've built this test net. It's a test environment of the main net. And you can go on there. We've got SDKs that are open source. You can go look at, you can go play around with, and you can get some free HBAR to start to execute some uh, some smart contracts or store some files or send some micropayments. Something that we do that is, is a big differentiator here is we've got the ability to send fractions of payments, like so fractions of a of a penny if you wanted to. We have this Chrome extension that, you know, you could go to joelcom.com and you could use our Chrome extension and start accepting micropayments. Uh, get a developer to integrate it there and you'd start receiving micropayments. Maybe you'd want to do that if you were the New York Times or if you were the Wall Street Journal because Joel and Travis, I'm sure you are as well, if you're using the Brave browser, they're going to block all of those ads, which stops those publishers from making money so they're going to need these micropayments as an alternative business model to get paid. And by the way, I, I don't know about you guys, but I would absolutely pay one one hundredth of a penny to read you know, every article in the New York Times. I don't read that much of the New York Times, so that, that probably costs me less than a dollar a month. And, and I think that, that on an aggregate scale for the New York Times, it has millions of, of page views per month. That's probably going to help them keep some, some publishers paid. So that's how a developer gets on. But if you're not a developer... You can also just go to portal.hedera.com. And if you just go to the portal, we're actually also giving away 250 HBAR to anyone who can come and help us test the mainnet. And you don't need to know how to code. You just need to go to portal.hedera.com. You download the Hedera wallet. It's in the iOS and Android app store. You'll download it and then you'll connect it and you'll actually send a micropayment to a dummy website that we set up called the Daily Timestamp. So if you go to dailytimestamp.com, you can actually start making micropayments to this WordPress site that we built and earn HBAR for doing it. We're giving away 250 HBAR per person for coming to help us do it. Would you, uh, just wondering, would you pay, you know, a penny to read each one of my articles as well? Because, you know, you said you would the New York Times. And... <laughs> I'd pay you 10, I'd pay you 10 pennies. Wow. 10 cents. That, what about to listen to our podcast? <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, jokes aside, it's a disruptive monetization model. You know, I have have some friends that are are not quite as funny as both of you, but when they create these viral memes or images, they don't get paid to do that, right? You you make some really funny meme and it goes viral on Reddit or you get a whole bunch of followers on Twitter because of it. You don't get paid to do that. But, you know, Twitter is earning money. The, The Reddit's earning money for it. So, you know, we start to imagine a future where there's a more efficient way to monetize content like a piece of audio, a podcast. It's really a piece of audio. I absolutely would pay a micropayment to listen to you guys or Joe Rogan. 
or you know uh, the daily or, 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 or something like that. So I, 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 I think that we've got to we've got to get out of this notion that everything on the internet should be free. I, I've gone from torrenting in my past uh, to paying because it's become easier to pay than to torrent in, in, in the tools that have been built that just make it easier to uh, uh, use, let's say, Amazon Prime natively installed on your TV. I'm offended that you would call us funny. I don't like when you misadjective me. It hurts my feelings. Yeah. Uh, funny, like funny, ha ha, like a clown, honk honk. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, Travis, he said something about doxing you or dox d o c s dot hedera dot com is where to That's go. That's right. To, uh, to see all the the various services and uh, belly up to the H bar. Uh, so many activities. You guys can check it all out in the show notes. Hedera dot com. Jordan Freed. Thanks for joining us today and sharing about this next generation hash graph thingamajigger. Thanks for having me, Joel and Travis. Appreciate it. Well, now you know what hash graph is and you know a little bit more about hash browns. And if you thought that was some super intelligent stuff, um, I'm, I'm going to have to confess right now that this next interview lost me a little bit. So I'm going to depend upon the smarter citizens of Bad Cryptopia to tell me what the hell he was talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Nigel Smart came on from Unbound Tech and he lived up to his name. He was very Nigel y and um, super smart too. And so he talks about trust contingent operations and security and privacy within the cryptos and the reasons why Fortune 500 companies are are utilizing some of their awesome technology. So software-defined cryptography, he goes into a lot of different stuff with that. So, you know, put on your thinking cap, folks, because this is some stuff that's pretty brainy. What is multi-party computation and how is it used in everyday life and how is it going to benefit society? What does it mean for organizations and for their users and why do you need to know? Well, here to explain it to us is somebody much smarter than us. In fact, he is Professor Nigel Smart. He's a professor at Catholic University Leuven. I believe that's how you pronounce it. And he is here. We welcome you, Professor Smart, to the Bad Crypto Podcast. Hello there. How are you? I, I feel stupid, actually. Okay. Um, so what do you want to know? You want to know how what what MPC is, I suppose? <laughs> well, yeah, I want to know a lot of things. I want to know, uh, first of all, you have a, a delightful British accent. So where are you now? I'm currently in Belgium. I'm at the. I'm currently a professor at the... Um, uh, Catholic Universiteit Leuven, which is um, just north of Brussels in Belgium. Hmm. And, but at the same time, I'm also a founder of a company called Unbound Technology, um, which is uh, based in Israel. Excellent. And so the website for that, for those uh, following the bouncing ball, is unboundtech.com. And you're all about transforming trust uh, i'm curious when did you know you've been in this uh, area of cryptography for a long time right give us a little bit about the background there and how you got into the whole crypto space okay so i um i was a mathematician at the university of kent and then i realized there wasn't really um, much money in maths so i decided to do cryptography because that's what you do if you do maths and so i joined hewlett packard um that was a long time ago that was oh my god that's 1997 
And then after three years in Hewlett-Packard, um, the University of Bristol recruited me and I set up the uh, cryptography research group at the University of Bristol, which is in the west of England, very nice, pretty place. And then I've been there for, I was there for um, 18 years. And then now I've joined uh, the Catholic University Leuven, which has the biggest cryptography research group in academia in the world. I mean, we're huge. We've got about 70, 80 people just doing research into cryptography. We do everything from with um, Leuven is the place that AES was invented. So if you're viewing, if you're listening to this on a podcast over an HTTPS, if the padlock is in the top left-hand corner, it's turned green, then you can guarantee that your uh, uh, your conversation is being uh, secured or your internet traffic is being secured by an algorithm that was invented in Leuven. So um, that was by a guy called Vincent Ryman, um, the AES algorithm. And now I'm in Leuven trying to... Um, create new stuff to do with MPC and bring make the world a safer place. Well, you just brought the HTTPS mic drop there. Like <laughs> everybody's looking at their browser now going, there's the little lock. There it is. Oh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, well, if they, if they know it's there, they know it's secure. So that's the whole point. Make sure people keep looking to see whether that little green padlock's there. So, so what was your initial sort of beginnings into, uh, you know, crypto and, and security? Okay, so originally um, I was working in um, encryption um, to do with um, what's what's called elliptic curve cryptography. This is an area of cryptography that um, helps. um, So in your browser, when it goes to the green padlock, before it executes the AS algorithm to encrypt all the traffic, it actually executes what's called a key exchange algorithm to agree a key to use. And that uses what's called elliptic curve cryptography. And the other thing that um, maybe um, your listeners have heard of elliptic curve cryptography is that um, in Bitcoin, the um, all the transactions are signed using um, what's called the elliptic curve digital signature algorithm. So you can think of crypt- uh, cryptography as, as, as securing uh, a number of things. So it, it secures large amounts of bulk data for which you'll use the AS algorithm. It allows you to agree keys for which you would usually use elliptic curves. It allows you to sign documents to say something is authentic, again, you'll use elliptic curves. But that's kind of like old crypto. That's um, stuff that's been around from 20, 30, 40 years or often longer. What people are looking at now is how you secure, uh, you, you don't secure data, you actually want to secure the computations. So as time's gone on, I've moved from looking at elliptic curve crypto into what I now do is um, what's been called um um, computing on encrypted data, how to compute on data whilst it's still being secure. All right. So that, so that leads you to multi-party computation. How does this impact? It's, it's, we know it's something around hot wallets and your, your wallet keys, your crypto keys. What is it and how, how does it work? Okay. So it's, it's, it's actually more general than, than, than um, hot wallet keys. So I'll get onto that later. Um, probably what's easiest to explain is the following issue. Um, now suppose, um, you're 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 going to have um, your your lunch with um, a bunch of other presenters of podcasts, okay? And you sit around and you sit around the lunch table or the dinner table, and you're all talking about how successful your podcasts are. And then you kind of go, well, who's going to pay for lunch? And so it's quite fair that you know what you go is do you say, well, okay, I want the person to pay for lunch is the person who's got the most viewers, the most listeners to the podcast. Okay, and of course you guys go, yeah, we got we got gazillions, and then you know the guys you're sitting across the table go, yeah, we've also got gazillions, but you don't actually want to reveal how many listeners you've got because you know if you, if it's actually less, 
You, and if it's very much less, you might be embarrassed. And if it's very much more, you might be embarrassed that you've basically made your friend look an idiot. So what you want to do is you want to work out who's got the most listeners to the podcast without actually revealing what the actual value is. So, for example, suppose you've got, I don't know, a million listeners and the person sitting at the table with you has got 500,000 listeners. So what you do is you compute, um, you execute what's called a multi-party computation algorithm, and this allows you to compute who has the most listeners without revealing what the number of listeners are. So you learn successfully that um, you've got the most listeners. On the other hand, you learn you have to pay for lunch. And your colleague across the table learns that mm, they've got less listeners, but they don't know how much less. But they also learn that they don't have to pay for lunch. So they're happy and you're happy in, in some way. So that's the essence of what's called multi-party computation. It allows multiple parties to compute a function without revealing what the inputs to the function are. So this has wide application. So you can imagine electronic voting is like a multi-party computation. What you do is that you, um, you encrypt your vote. Your vote gets sent to some authority, and the authority wants to add up the votes without revealing what each individual vote is. You want to compute the outcome of the election while still maintaining the privacy of the people who um, voted. So that's what another application. Uh, um, another application is auctions. Suppose you're trying to sell an item um, and you want a, a sealed bid auction. If you don't have a trusted auctioneer, and there are many cases where you don't have trusted auctioneers, what people do is you want to, in some sense, encrypt the amount you're bidding for an item and then work out on, on just on this encrypted data who wins the auction and how much the winning bid is. So you don't reveal any information about the non-winning bid, but bids, but you only learn the winning bid and who actually won. There's a um, huge number of applications in um, secure databases. Imagine you've got um, uh, uh, two hospitals and they want to compare patient outcome data. So you've got two encrypted databases of the hospital information. You want to do some statistical analysis on the patients to look at medical interventions, but you don't want to reveal hospital A doesn't want to reveal to hospital B um, anything about all the patients there. So you can see that this is like a hugely, uh, you know, massive app applications. If you have any form of you're computing on something where the data is coming from different parties, each party wants to maintain the security of their data, but you want to compute some joint output, whether that be who pays for lunch, who wins the election, who wins the auction, or the statistical information about the hospital data. So this is a big. This is big at the moment um, in the cryptography field. This is this has had a huge boost over the last uh, few years. There's a large number of startups working in the space, looking at different application domains, um, from the auctions through to um, you know merging databases in the hospitals. There's no one building an application to work out who you should who should pay for lunch. Alas, so you've, you're on your own with that. Travis is, is paying for lunch. He's, okay. He's <laughs> that. So I, I want to bring this home and, and like, you know, when we're dealing with new technology, uh, certainly we could explain what it does, but ultimately the consumer, the customer just wants it to work. So what is yeah. the experience from the customer side? What will they not have to deal with that they previously or otherwise would have? 
Okay, so what it does is, in the applications I just explained, is it enables the application to proceed. So it enables the application to actually happen without the need for a trusted authority. So it reduces trust in the system. Now, let's bring it back to what you were originally saying, that it does have applications in cryptocurrency custodian stuff. So let's actually look at what we do now is we want to turn the whole thing on its head. So it turns out that if you're if you're using cryptographic keys to do something, you're using it to sign your Bitcoin transactions or or whatever. What you or if you're in a provisioned blockchain, you're signing the um, the ledger to say that it's a valid ledger. If your key goes missing or someone uses your key in a um, in a malicious way, you lose your funds or you lose the trust of your customers. Okay, so what happens is that companies do elaborate processes to secure the control of the key that does the the digital signature or whatever. Now, there are various ways of doing this with traditional technology. Um, There are ways that are purely software-based where you, or you might have seen, you know, when you, when you first get a Bitcoin wallet, you know, uh, and uh, you write down the key and it's very long and you have to store it on a piece of paper and put it in a safe and et cetera, et cetera. So that's that way of doing it which doesn't really scale. Um, If you're a very rich financial institution, you'll have something what's called a hardware security module. And this is a computer where they cost about 10 to 20 grand, sometimes even more. Uh, This is a computer that's kind of very, very secure. Um, You can't do anything with it. All it does is it holds keys and does operations for you. And this is what's used to secure um, the traditional banking network. So each bank has a bunch of hardware security modules in its basement that allows it to talk to the teller machines that, you know, the automatic teller machines that give out the cash point machines that give out your cash. If you're running a a cryptocurrency exchange or you're doing a large amount of cryptocurrency applications, you've got to somehow secure the, the signing key for your hot wallet. And you've got a lot of solutions to this. You can actually put it on a piece of paper and stick it in a you know, safe, or but you really don't want to hold it on the web server. You don't want to hold it in a position where if the, someone gets in and attacks your web server, you've got they've got access to the, the signing key. So what you do is you want to put the signing key in some form of hardened device. So the expensive way of doing this would be to use a hardware security module. However, if we go back to this MPC thing, is what you got is if I take the key and I split the key up. So instead of having, in multi-party computation, you normally bring parties together. We're now going to act, act like a bit more like a divorce agency. Is what we do is we take this one party, this party that's got the key, and we split them into two or three parties. And then we use the magic of MPC to be able to execute the encryption algorithm or the signature algorithm without ever needing to bring those parts back together. So this creates a huge attack surface for the attacker, which means that you're the attacker now has to break into three different computers, which could be in three different locations under three different operating systems with three different managers, et cetera, et cetera. So it makes it much, much harder for the attacker to attack the key, get hold of your funds, but it doesn't have the cost and, and, and the complexity of using an HSM solution. So what this does is it gives you almost the same security as HSMs, hardware security modules, although there are problems with hardware security modules even last week there was an attack on hardware security modules that are meant to, that were securing a lot of uh, uh, banking applications. 
And it's not as, but it's it's definitely better than using just keeping the key within the web server or keeping the key in a, using it as a cold wallet and keeping the key in a safe. So if you're a cryptocurrency exchange operator, this is cheaper than using an HSM. It's faster than using a, a, a soft wallet. Uh, sorry, uh, yeah, the the cold wallet in the um, in the safe. It's more secure than keeping your key in your hot wallet on your web server. And if you design the software right, um, which uh, which Unbound Tech has done, you can actually deploy this very simply. So from the point of view of what does the customer see? The customer doesn't see anything. It looks exactly the same. It operates exactly the same. It's just it gives them either more security compared to what they've got or it's cheaper than going for the really expensive thing. And it's slightly more flexible because you can add um, what we call um, cryptographically controlled access control into it. So, for example, it might be that you've got a, you've got a wallet and you don't want to spend any money from that wallet because it's to do with your podcast. And so the two of you, you want to come together and ensure that both of you agree to the transaction. Now, there's two ways of doing that. You could either do it with what's called multi-signatures, which are coming up in a lot of uh, Bitcoin applications and, and smart contracts, etc. But if I do that, then the recipient of the signature has to know about that it's going to be signed by two people. It has to understand all the smart contract stuff. But I'm just if I if you're sending me the funds, I don't give a shit really what you're you know, why, who who authorized the funds. I just want to know it's a valid authorization. So I want it to look like a, a normal Bitcoin signature, say. And so the two of you can sign the document, sign the, the transaction, without revealing it was two of you that actually signed it, which in some organizations is important because that hides the internal authorization structure, which is also often company confidential. And that is also enabled by the fact that the MPC technology just has that already baked into the technology. So it allows you to do things cheaper, easier, faster, or you just don't see any benefit. Uh, you don't see any, um, uh, any downside. You don't see any difference from using it in, in, in another way. Yeah, I think it's interesting that you, that you have these secrets <clears throat> that are in different places. They never touch each other. They're never combined. Yeah. And it, it's interesting how that's set up. So like, I'm, I'm curious about that. And then I would also ask, who who are who are your best customers? Uh, okay, so I'm um, so it's it's as I said, it's, it's it's a really interesting idea. And when you explain this to people, normally they go, "This makes no sense." You know, you're computing on something without actually ever seeing the thing that you're computing on because it's hidden in different locations that never come together. Your listeners might have heard of um, zero cash, which is another uh, cryptocurrency, and zero cash in its setup. Um, procedure used a, used a, a, an MPC protocol to ensure that there was no trusted dealer. So this was the kind of protocol that you, it's also it's not just used in in you know standard Bitcoin or standard uh, a provision uh, uh, blockchain applications or whatever. It's also used in you know more high falutin complex uh, uh, cryptocurrency applications like Zerocoin. So it's been used a lot. To come on to your second question. I mean, we're seeing uh, attraction everywhere. So, I mean, not it, in this application is is not just in the cryptocurrency spaces. We're seeing um, people um, in the cryptocurrency exchanges. We're seeing some major exchanges using our technology to secure their wallets, uh, bringing the time down to convert between 
the uh, a cryptocurrency and the fiat currency going back to like dollars or pounds or euros or yen or whatever, bringing those t- times down, which is benefiting their customers because they no longer have to go back to um, cold wallets and pieces of paper. Um, we're seeing uh, attraction in software signing. So um, a code signing, if you're installing updates, you know, when you install an update from Microsoft, it gets code signed. So you know it comes from Microsoft. If you install um, an update, you know, any form of, if your phone installs an update, it installs uh, an update from Google or from Samsung or from Nokia or whoever that has been signed by the manufacturer. So there's a lot of, when you install software, you see a lot of what's called code signing going on. It really is genuine software coming from somewhere that's genuine and not uh, a, a, a malicious place. So we're also seeing a, a lot of traction in code signing because code signing is a very, very similar application. It's a similar use case um, to the cryptocurrency uh, uh, custodian issue. Is If you look at both problems, both are about you have to produce a digital signature. It's very important you don't make a mistake with that digital signature. You want different authorizations, um, access control to who should um, authorize such a signature to be made. And that's all. So the code signing and cryptocurrency, are, they're the same application, just but with different different verticals. They're different areas. We're also seeing applications um, in finance and in other, er, any other, loads of other areas where people are using um, uh, cryptography to bake, to, to do security, to, to use it to secure authorization. But you want to secure the keys in a way that you don't necessarily want to have the expense of an HSM, but you also don't want to have the weak security of just storing it on a web server or in the clear on your phone or whatever. So, we, yeah, we're seeing, we're seeing a, a large amount of traction in different spaces, which cryptocurrency is just one of them. Excellent. Well, if you, people want to go down the rabbit hole some more on this technology, unboundtech.com is the website. And Professor Smart, thank you for coming in and uh, spilling your very smart brain all over our podcast. No problem. Enjoy. Well, there you go. For those of you who say that sometimes bad crypto doesn't go deep enough, we just went into the depths right there. And if you are high tech, then you had to love that piece. Yeah, that was like bad crypto 301 or something, wasn't it? That was actually good crypto right there. It was. I mean, it was so good that like our questions were bad. It was like, dude, this guy is talking some awesome stuff here. I don't even know what to ask. <laughs> Should have had him just ask his own questions. Yeah. Nigel, let's take over. Yeah. Right. Well, off you go. Yeah. He goes, well, this question, I would ask myself this question next. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and do that. We got some fancy stuff coming up for you guys here over the uh, the next few weeks. We've got William Quigley, the CEO of Wax, which is a super cool platform. We've got Edward Moncado, the creator and CEO of Blockfolio Block coming up. Blockfolio. Oh, yeah. You know, that that's the app that you'll give yourself Nintendonitis, like refreshing. Like, oh, straight pulling down with your thumb. Like, is it? Oh, is, is Bitcoin over 10,000 yet? Nope. What about now? Did you just call it Nintendo Nitus? Yeah, that's what I called it. Like, you know, when you like, when you got your first yeah, yeah. Nintendo and you like, it started hurting your thumb, especially I noticed, I noticed it was my right thumb because like you're pushing the AB button so intensely. 
Nintendo-itis. I like that. Well, here we are stamping this uh, recording for Monday, June 17th. This episode releases on the 19th. And as of right now, the crypto market cap sitting at $288 billion with Bitcoin having touched ninety-three. Oh, what oh. was actually over 9300 It's currently sitting at $9,253. Uh, 48 hours from now, who knows where it's going to be. But the crypto, you know, there's no more having to say, is the crypto winter over? Clearly. The crypto winter is over. We're into spring. And uh, by now, I think crypto summer, I think crypto summer probably starts at around 10K, doesn't it? I, I sure hope so. But I'll tell you what, by the time you guys hear this, Facebook will have already made their announcement about Libra, their new cryptocurrency. And uh, we mm-hmm. we may have even put another episode out before this comes out, because we might decide to talk about this uh, when, uh, when when they announce it, depending upon just how big a deal we mm-hmm. think it is. You know, I think it's going to be really interesting. I think what it's going to do is, you know, once they launch it, man, all these news, all these news sites around the world are going to be talking about it, right? I mean, how big of a buzz for crypto will there have been other than crypto than Facebook launching their freaking own cryptocurrency? I think the amount of information and news that we're going to get on that unless something crazy happens like this could be in the news cycle for several days do you remember my prediction a couple of months ago um are you talking about facebook coin being the uh watershed moment for the crypto that's that's right that's i'm i'm sticking by that i think it's going to be a slow burn it's not like oh overnight everything you know everybody's going to adopt crypto but i think bringing this facebook currency to the masses is going to turn people on to the cryptos and i think as a result they're going to start paying attention to Bitcoin and in people that are crypto curious are going to start, you know, saying, Oh, what I heard of this other thing called Litecoin and something about chickens. Mm-hmm. And what's that all about? And what is this EOS? How do I play this game on mobile with EOS? Yeah. Dude, I don't know about you, Mr. Joe Khan, but I have seriously had in the last 48 hours, I have had four friends of mine reach out to me separately on independent messaging streams asking about, what, so I'm doing some research around. What do you think that I should I put five hundred dollars on to, to do? I'm mean, look. What do you think about this Facebook thing? That's good? I mean, so I mean, people out of the blue are popping up, starting to ask questions mm-hmm. around this. The the masses are coming. Yep, they definitely are. And uh, what do you tell people when they ask you for advice? I say I am not a financial advisor. I say do your own research. But I'll give what I'll do is I I give them the link to badco.in forward slash basics. I said start educating yourself there. And then go to coinmarketcap.com, look at some of those in the top 10, top 20, you know, then click on them and then you can see here's their website and here's their other stuff. Just go research those and see which ones that feel good to you. And, you know, if they're on, they're probably on Coin Coinbase and some other ones, you know, maybe get some of the ones that you think. I go, but I, what I would recommend, even though I'm not a financial advisor, is stack some Satoshis. Get yourself some Satoshis because if everybody in the world had the same amount, we would have 0. .002 five satoshis or 0.20025 bitcoin that's not a whole lot so if you get yourself a tenth of a bitcoin at least i mean that's i mean you're going to be doing better than most people hey and travis guess what time it is it's 4 30 nope it's more than that it is time for a john mcafee update that's right the mac is back he's in the news again and there's there's a few things that are going on here and i'm going to drop links to these in the show notes so you guys can check these out as well And the first story from Mr. McAfee is a tweet that he made just a few days ago. He actually did a whole bunch of tweets. You know, he's been a fugitive 
from uh, the law for tax evasion. And he basically said to the U.S. government to leave him alone or he will effing bury them. Let me actually read the quote here from friends in the State Department. The Department of Justice trumped up charges against me for murder, money laundering and racketeering. A conspiracy is unfolding. Proof coming. I've collected files on corruption in governments. For the first time, I'm naming names and specifics. I'll begin with a corrupt CIA agent and two Bahamian officials. If I'm arrested or disappear, 31 plus terabytes of incriminating data will be released to the press i was muted that sounds scary he's he's, he's threatening <laughs> it's never a dull moment with mr john mcafee that is for sure and um yeah he has been a fugitive on the run i guess what the bahamas kicked him out or something happened and then then he got on his boat then his boat broke down now he's stuck in cuba yeah, he he's in right? cuba and of course he is uh still threatening to expose corrupt CIA agents if anything happens. And I guess he had a body double out there who has gone missing. What? Now, I noticed if you, if you look at the picture on the YouTube or on the Yahoo uh, page, uh, you can tell he's recently got a nice new dye job because unless that's his body. Double. Well, there's this guy on here. His name is Jay Pizzle, not Jay Dizzle. And he disappeared while traveling to a conference in Barcelona to speak on John's behalf so i don't know what's going on there wow how fancy do you got to be to have a body double yeah this this stuff is really heating up but in the meantime you know he's launching his own crypto soon and he just released his own trading platform it's called magic the uh the website for it is mcafeemagic.com and it says you could trade cryptos on multiple exchanges within a single dashboard automatically and manually and I guess magically. Yeah. So what it does is it does that arbitrage for you. So it connects with Binance, Kraken, Poloniex, you know, Bittrex, HT, Hit BTC, a bunch of others. And what it does is it allows you to do normal spot trading and other for some shadow trading. And these bots will then go out there and, and try to find you, you know, ways to to arbitrage the whole thing through those different exchanges. Like, so maybe maybe Bitcoin's nine thousand two hundred and eighty dollars over here, but Bitcoin's nine thousand two hundred and ten dollars over here, and so then you can sort of buy it over here, sell it over there, and make yourself a little make make yourself some satoshis. And so there's some there's some stuff going on with that. That's McAfee magic. Seems interesting, but um, as always, it's not too hard for Mister John McAfee to stay stay out of the news is it too the dude is perpetually in the news i guess the site magic faced some ddos attacks and he's working with amazon because it's all in amazon aws to uh to host this he says so they're learning the attack meanwhile catch up on work make out with your partner or a flash a random stranger in video while you wait <laughs> nice mm. interesting guy for sure and hopefully we'll get him back on Bad Crypto episode 300. He was on episode 100. He was on episode 200. So you can go listen to those at badco.in forward slash 100 or forward slash 200. And when uh, when he comes back on, maybe we can uh, maybe we can have him back on for episode 300. If he's not, you know, uh, John on the run. John's on the run. As long as John run. doesn't have the runs. Well, as long as John has good internet and is available to chat with us, I'm sure he will. And as long as John is set on staying bad. Who's bad?
Bad Crypto Podcast is a production of Bad Crypto LLC. The content of the show, the videos, and the website is provided for educational, informational, and entertainment purposes only. It's not intended to be and does not constitute financial, investment, or trading advice of any kind. You shouldn't make any decisions as to finances, investing, trading, or anything else based on this information without undertaking independent due diligence and consultation with a professional financial advisor. Please understand that the trading of bitcoins and alternative cryptocurrencies have potential risks involved. Anyone wishing to invest in any of the currencies or tokens mentioned on this podcast should first seek their own independent professional financial advisor.